Elections are in the air at the present time, not just here in Britain. Many of us will have seen pictures from Jerusalem during the last week where the current Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, has, has won another election. In fact, during the past year, Israel and Palestine have often been on our t- television screens because of the continuing tensions there. A century and more ago, Jerusalem and Palestine were also, interestingly, very much at the center of worldwide attention, not because of politics, but because of the intense interest in the Holy Land by Christian scholars and travelers from many nations during the Victorian era. And one of the leading biblical scholars and archaeologists of that time, William Thompson, described his 25 years of studying the Holy Land in a massive two-volume work entitled The Land and the Book. And when he came to talk about Jerusalem, he made this remarkable appeal to readers who were hoping to go there. He said, Do not set out resolved to make discoveries. There's not one foot of ground that hasn't already been scrutinized by a thousand eyes as keen as yours. And the old adage If true, not new. If new, not true. May be applied to Jerusalem and her monuments with more propriety than to any other place on earth. There's nothing new to discover there. That's what he was saying. And you know, many people in our generation feel much the same about the parables of Jesus. There's nothing new to discover We've heard the stories since we were children. We've learnt about them in Sunday school. We've listened to sermons. We've discussed them in Bible study groups. Are we not just restating the obvious when we talk about one of these parables? Is there any challenge left in them? I believe there is. I believe there's gold to be mined, there's treasures to be uncovered, there are fresh truths, deeper understandings that we can find, no matter how many thousand eager eyes have read them. We've the words of Jesus himself. What could be more precious? What could be more important? And so here in Kirkpatrick, we're in the midst of this series of three parables about the prayer in Luke's gospel. And what we're attempting to do is, under the guidance of God, we're seeking to to find out what each of them has to say and to try in a new way to see what they say to us. And tonight, we look at that well-known story of the friend at midnight. And we want to start off by examining closely what the Bible actually says to make sure that we know the exact words of Scripture so that we can look more deeply into the story and find perhaps new meaning in the text. So if you wish, I'd ask you to to turn to Luke chapter 11, verse 5 now. Luke 11, verse 5. And one of the first things you notice when you look at verse 5, the opening verse doesn't pack the punch that the words of Jesus did when he first spoke them. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight, verse 7. 
Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. It's all very unemotional. But you know, the words that are there in the Greek are much stronger. A better translation, can you imagine that you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come and I have no food to him. Can you imagine the friend saying inside, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children are in bed. That sort of catches the mood that would have been there. Can't you imagine this? Those who heard these words of Jesus would have been disgusted with this so-called friend. They would have regarded as silly excuses stories about the door being locked and the children sleeping. Honor required caring for the stranger no matter what time of day or night they came at. You see, in the Middle East, the obligation to offer hospitality to the stranger was non-negotiable. It was a sacred duty. And when someone arrived, he wasn't thought of as the guest of an individual alone in the village, but of the village or community to which he'd come. You didn't say to to a visitor, you've honored me by coming. You said you've honored our village by coming. And it was important that, that the traveler, when he left that village, would go with a good feeling because of the good hospitality he had received there. That was very important in the culture. So you see, there was nothing wrong with this man going to his sleeping neighbor, his so-called friend, and asking him for help to fulfill their duty as a community to the traveler. It's unthinkable that he would have rejected the request, as long as the request was reasonable, of course. And in this case... It's only for bread, the humblest element in the entire meal. However, of course, we should note that bread had more importance in a Middle Eastern meal than it has in our uh, meals today. You see, bread wasn't just bread. In Eastern cuisine, bread was the knife and the fork and the spoon. It was the thing with which you ate the meal. The meal was in the bowl in the center of the table. Each person had a loaf of bread, a flat loaf there in front of them, and they would break off bite-sized pieces and dip them in the dish in the center of the, of the table, and then they would eat. And they would break off another bit and repeat the process. Knife and fork and spoon, that's what bread was. Probably... Not all the loaf would be eaten. You know, this host who goes looking for bread, he may well have had bits of loaves in his house from the family meal earlier in the day. But good hospitality required that you set a a whole loaf before the visitor. And there should be at least one other on the table so that if he needed more, it was there. That's why he asks for three loaves, you notice, in this parable. Middle Eastern peasants, we're told, didn't bake every day. They stored bread for a day or two, and in the village, they would know who had baked that day because they used a shared or village oven. 
So our friend would have known from his wife which house to go to to find bread. And in verse 6, if you look at it there, you see the host saying to his neighbor, A friend of mine has come. I have no food to offer him. This doesn't mean that he had no food. Peasant families will have had things stored away from the harvest, olives, cheese, other things stored there. What he's saying is, I have nothing good enough. I have nothing adequate for this guest. And he's hoping, no doubt, for more than bread. In verse 8, if you look at it, suggests, in fact, that the neighbor in the end gives him. He'll get up and give as much as he needs. So here we have a, a simple story. The villager has a late-night visitor. He goes to his friend for help. One other thing I want you to notice. He doesn't knock the door. Do you notice that? He doesn't knock the door. He calls. A stranger knocks in the middle of the night, and you're afraid, just as you would be if a stranger knocked in the middle of the night here. A friend calls. You recognize the voice, the voice of someone that you know, and you have the confidence to open the door. And so, after the brief conversation and the initial reluctance, the man gets up and gives his friend whatever he needs. Now, what's the point of this story? We often think of this parable as an exhortation to be persistent in prayer, to keep on asking when we pray. But if you look closely at the words, you'll see, in fact, that that's not completely accurate. It's not the main emphasis of the story. There's another parable in Luke 18 about a widow and a reluctant judge, which clearly is encouraging us to persist in asking God for whatever we need. But here you don't see that persistence. There's no keeping on asking. There's no keeping on knocking. Rather, the sleeper has a change of heart and gives what is needed. What then is the story teaching? What's its emphasis? Certainly there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an element of encourage, per, encouraging persistence in prayer, but the main emphasis in this parable is distinct from Luke 18, is be bold, be brave, ask for what you need. Don't be afraid to ask. Have the audacity to ask. Have the confidence to believe that you'll be heard. The key verse there is verse 8. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Be bold. That's the message. God isn't meant to be compared to this sleeper. He's meant to be contrasted with him. The parable is saying something about the nature of God. He's a God of integrity. If the reluctant neighbor responds positively in the end, how much more will God honor his promises and respond to our requests? That's the message. David Livingstone, the great 19th century missionary explorer, returned to Britain after 16 years in the interior of Africa. 
invited to speak at the University of Glasgow, he walked onto the platform with the tread of a man who had just walked 10,000 miles. His left arm hung at his side, almost useless because his shoulder had been shattered, crushed by a lion. His body was emaciated. He was half deaf from rheumatic fever. He was half blind, a branch having stuck through his eye when he was traveling through the bush. He was described as a rickle of bones. The students stared at him, stunned. They listened spellbound as he told them of his travels and of the great needs of the people of that continent. And as he finished his story of 16 years in Africa, he said to them, Shall I tell you what sustained me in the midst of all these toils, hardships, and incredible loneliness? Shall I tell you? It was the promise of a gentleman of the most sacred honor who said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That same gentleman of the most sacred honor is the one who says to us in our scripture tonight, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. And to emphasize the the quality, compassion, and reliability of the one to whom we pray, Jesus then goes on in in those last two verses that you may like to look at, a wonderful passage describing God's goodness and God's nature. Which of you fathers, Jesus said, who... If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What's Jesus saying? The promises of God are good. The nature of God is generous. You can trust him to keep his word. Of course, the big question that all of us have struggled with is this. Why then do we ask at times and not receive? Why do we seek at times and not find? Why do we knock on some doors and they never open? Why? 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 And we know need to be reminded, perhaps, of an answer that we'll have heard many times. God's answer is not always yes. Just as a loving father will not give his children everything that child wants and asks for, but rather gives what's best for the child, so God sometimes says no to our requests. No is the loving answer to our prayer. And sometimes a loving parent, when their child asks for something, will say, wait, you're a bit young for that. You're not mature enough to handle that. God can say to us at times, wait. It's not easy. Sometimes there can seem to be no purpose in the waiting. 
But Jesus is encouraging us to have confidence. The same confidence that that man had when he went to his sleeping neighbor and asked for bread. The same confidence that David Livingstone had as he ventured into the dark unknown of the interior of Africa. Jesus wants us to have confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And that's why he gives us at the end of our scripture for this evening this wonderful picture of a God, a father who gives good gifts to his children. I don't know if you have been earnestly praying about something in your life just now. Maybe praying for someone you love. I don't know if you're feeling perhaps that there seems to be no answer coming. God is not like the sleepy neighbor. God knows what is best, when it's best, how it's best. God is not some reluctant donor who has to be badgered into giving you what you want. God is the loving Father. And in his time and in his way, he gives to us who trust him what he knows to be best. This is the wonderful message of our passage tonight. And we trust afresh in God to give us that confidence within our hearts. Let's pray. Loving God, our Father, we come to you as children to a father. Give us that boldness of faith and that confidence of faith that enables us to approach you in every circumstance and situation of life. And give us also, Lord, the hearing ear and the obedient and understanding heart that knows that your answer is not always yes. And give us the grace to accept a yes, a no, a wait, and above all, grant that whatever we face, whatever difficulties we experience, and whatever problems confine us, grant us, Lord, beneath it all, that confidence in you, that you will never fail us nor forsake us. And in the end, you will give, and you will answer, and you will bless each one of us, your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.